Good morning. Have you all been in the, in the commons and seen all those toys? Oh, my goodness. A few weeks ago, I asked if you could just fill the trunk clear full. If not, just overflow it. And it is overflowing everywhere. We've got... We've been given blankets, big, beautiful quilts. Those kids are going to be so excited to cover, get in their new bed and cover up with those blankets and toys galore. My wish was answered. My prayers were answered. And praise God for overflowing the toys. Thank you so much for everything. Thanks, Betty. And uh, we've got one more announcement. We've got a youth announcement. And uh, as you know, graduations are happening all over. Uh, so the school year is coming to an end. But um, we have one kind of final uh, thing for the end of the year for the youth students. Uh, this coming week, we have our last high school Bible study on Tuesday and our last regular uh, youth group on Wednesday. But the following Wednesday, uh, the June 7th, we are having a welcome uh, kind of get together for any new students who are currently in fifth grade that will be going to sixth grade. So I know we have one in here, so we're looking forward to having him there. Uh, but if you know anybody, friends or family that you know want to have, you know, their students are going into sixth grade, uh, come out on June 7th, regular time for youth group, 630 to 8. Uh, we're going to have pizza, games, and again, just a time to welcome all the new students. Thank you. Well, good morning. I want to welcome you on this uh, Memorial Day weekend and do want to celebrate uh, those veterans and all the branches of service that uh, really sacrificed that we could be here today. Amen? Right? That is uh, just an incredible opportunity. Uh, we're going to continue in our, in our uh, little mini-series on temptation that we've been uh, working through, but, but I have to uh, start with something else really quick. Um, a bit of a confession, a bit of a uh, full disclosure, honesty moment here. Last week, I, I gave you some homework, if anyone remembers there was a homework. And it's it centered around a verse, uh, Psalm 37.4. Jordan, if you want to put that up there, right? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we last week, we talked about really temptation. The struggle is an issue of the heart. And if we want to have victory, we, we need our desires changed. And Psalm 37, 4 says, well, if I delight myself in the Lord, ultimately, over time, my desires become his desires. They, they become in sync, right? And so I gave you homework to delight yourself in the Lord this week, right? Like, Make best effort. Delight. Let, what, what's God going to do if you, if you delight yourself in the Lord? So uh, the, the confession, the, the moment of full disclosure is that um, for me personally, I'm going to have to take a mulligan. Okay? So uh, I need a mulligan for that homework. If you're not familiar with golf, uh, when you're at the tee, usually the first tee because you're not warmed up or anything yet, right? And, and you, you line it up at Soul Park. I've been there a bunch of times, right? And Dale, you know, right? It's right by the, the restaurant, so everybody's watching you and all the other groups are waiting. So you can get kind of nervous or you're just not warmed up. And so you can leave that up, Jordan. And so you, you tee it up and, you know, you take your best shot. And sometimes in golf, that first tee shot it doesn't really go where you thought it would. Despite your best efforts, it goes hard left, hard right, sometimes three feet in front of you, right? 
And so usually, if you're playing with, with some friends, you know, you'll say, you know what, I need a mulligan. Or they say, hey, dude, do you want a mulligan? What is a mulligan in golf? It's a second chance. It's a do-over with no penalty, right? It's a mulligan. And so I don't know about you, this week, you know, the homework was delight yourself in the Lord. I was doing more dealing with than delighting this week, okay? I had a different D word, and um, it was funny because as I was dealing with various issues this week, uh, I really understood how challenging that homework assignment actually was, right? I was, I was dealing with almost something every day, constant, would not let up, you know? Anyone ever have a dealing with week? Anyone going through a dealing with, right? A dealing with. And so the homework was delight. And, you know, I gave the assignment. And so it wasn't lost on me that I'm supposed to be delighting. And I'm like, man, man, okay. And I was, I was, I was reminded of it comes down to choice. It comes down to circumstance and cho- choosing if I'm going to focus on the Lord or my circumstance or my feelings or the problem and, you know, me going into dealing with analytical problem-solving mode, mode or delighting, like trusting that, okay, God, you're going to work this ultimately for the good. And so, you know, I'm getting a mulligan because it wasn't a complete, complete, w- I didn't swing and miss. Let's just say that. Let's just say I, I, I hooked it a little bit. And then I sliced it, and so it didn't land this week where I exactly wanted, so I'm going to take a mulligan, and I know I could do better, um, and uh, I'll give you a mulligan, too. Anyone want a mulligan for last week? Okay, you get more dealing with than the lighting. Well, then we all get mulligans. Um, but it, it's very interesting because it really ties into uh, this series that we've been talking about, Temptation. Temptation and, and really the, 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 the heart issues, the struggles that we all have with temptation and testing, right? In the Greek, we saw that the word testing and temptation is really the same Greek word. Uh, but I came across this, this quote that's been attributed to Martin Luther that, that really kind of is a word picture, right? I'm visual, so I, sometimes I come across things and I get this picture in my head. And I'm like, you know what? That makes total sense. And Martin Luther says, you can't keep the birds from flying overhead but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Right? So you necessarily can't keep testings and temptations from coming at you, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. You can choose what to do with them when they come. Okay? None of us, you know, one out of one person on this planet is dealing with some will or is dealing with Testing or temptation, right? One out of one person. No one here is immune. So we can't necessarily prevent them from flying overhead, but we can choose our response and our reaction. And our, our launching verse in Mark, as we're going through the gospel of Mark, has been, Mark 1, 12, 13 says this, the spirit immediately drove him, Jesus, out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Uh, our focal point for the last three weeks about has been timing, right? This was right after Jesus' mountaintop experience of baptism. If you remember, right, he was baptized, sky supernaturally open, Holy Spirit descends like a dove, God's voice is heard affirming Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Mountaintop 
supernatural spiritual experience. We've all been on the mountaintop. We've all had those highs, right, at camp and wherever else, right? And Jesus has this spiritual high mountaintop, and immediately he's cast into the wilderness. And we spent some time talking about, well, how do we, how do we navigate you know, because many times if we're not careful, even as believers, we go to the mountaintop and then we go to the wilderness and our Christian life is up and down and we're on fire for Jesus. Then we don't even want to go to church. We're reading the Bible. Then we don't even know where it is. Right. And, and a lot of that, if we're not careful, becomes mountaintop and wilderness, meaning circumstance driven. Right. And, and we saw we saw through the the uh, example of Joseph Remember Joseph, who had a life of mountaintop and wilderness, right? And Joseph was able to sort of maintain kind of this, rather than going up and down and up and down. Joseph was like this. Why? Because through it all, he kept his perspective on God. He had what we call the God perspective, right? We saw that. And then we saw Jesus, right? Last week, we looked at Jesus' temptations, and what was the root at the core of all three of those temptations that Jesus faced after 40 days being in the wilderness? An issue of faith, an issue of trust, an issue of confidence. And, and I shared last week that biblical faith isn't just agreeing with facts, okay? There's knowledge. You gain knowledge. You have an assent. You do affirm them. You agree to them. But biblical faith involves trust, confidence in Okay, it's, a, it's an all-in moment. And I've shared with you before, right now, to, to, you know, word pictures, all of you right now, or you at home, if you're sitting in something, you are manifesting what we would call biblical faith in that chair. Right? You have knowledge of the chair, based on experience. You looked at it, maybe. You agree that the chair, it can support your weight. But how do we know that you really trusted in that chair that you're sitting in? How do we really know? Okay, yeah, okay. Turn to the person next because we're sitting in it. Turn to the person because we're sitting in it, right? How do you really know? How do the people around you know that you really have faith in the chair? You're actually doing something with it. If you were standing up like I trust it, yeah, I agree with you. That's a solid looking chair. And if I said, well, sit in it, you're like, well, no. I know about, no, but I thought you said you agreed, but I thought you affirmed. I thought it made sense. You read the manual, but see, if you're not willing to sit in it, you're not putting your weight on it. You don't really trust it, okay? And so Jesus, when he was tempted, was tempted at this issue of trust. The first temptation was, hey, Jesus, do you really trust that God will provide your needs, your desires, in his way and in his timing? Because the root of that temptation was the devil trying to get Jesus and us to act independent of God. I really want this thing. I really want this person. I really feel like I need this. And the temptation is to act independent of God. Right? Do you really trust? Do you have confidence in God that he will provide your needs in his way and in his time. That's number one. Number two was, was do you really trust God and his word? Right? Uh, Temptation number two, the devil is trying to cast doubt into Jesus. And rather than trusting God's word and receiving God's word as truth, he wanted to get Jesus to test. 
And we talked about that last week. Are you at a place where you receive God's word? Psalm 91 is just fascinating, incredible psalm of God being our refuge and fortress and, and all this incredible truth. Do you receive that? Do you trust that? Or do you go like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Right? So it, the, the test, temptation number two is, are you trusting God's word? Are you so like doubting that you test? You're still not fully there. You're going to, rather than trusting, you're testing. Okay, that was, that was number two. And number three, remember Satan said, hey, Jesus, if you bow down to me, I'll give you every, all these kingdoms, right? And that word was, do we trust God's plan? Do we trust God's plan? Because what Satan was saying, hey, Jesus, you don't need to suffer. You don't need to go to the cross. Just bow down to me, and I'll make you the man. I'll give you everything, all the kingdoms. You'll be, you know, reigning over everything. You don't really need God's plan. And so for us, the, the application and the challenge was, am I, are you willing to trust? Do you have confidence in God's plan? Even if that plan includes trials and testings. Even if that plan is uncomfortable. Even if that plan isn't in your timeline. Doesn't happen as fast as you want. Right? Because Satan was offering Jesus the shortcut. And sometimes in our life, even as believers, we want the shortcut. But how many of you know if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, there is no shortcut to godliness. It is up, down, left, right, and just when you think you got it, right? It's a journey. Now, God is faithful to complete what he began. God is faithful to use everything for the good. But the temptation sometimes is to get this demandingness. And, and if we don't, if we're not careful, that leads to discouragement disillusionment, that phrase that I've shared with you before, sometimes you hear people say, I tried Christianity. And I'm like, I don't understand I tried Christianity because at its core, it's about sin and a savior, <laughs> right? What they mean is I came to, I, 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 I tried Christianity, meaning more like the self-help model. I wanted to come to Christianity so it could fix my life in a certain timeline, in a certain manner, it didn't work as soon as quickly as I wanted, so I've moved on to the next self-help section at Barnes and Nobles to try something else. Right? What is that? That's because we live in an instant, right? Amazon Prime culture. Right? How many of you celebrate one day delivery? How many get bummed with two day? And then it's like beyond two day, you're like Pah. My goodness, right? Where before, I mean, we had no problem just a few years ago, right? Going down to Ventura, and you were like, let's just zip on down there. Now it's like, oh, all the way to Ventura. Oh, my gosh, so far, right? Or now they even give you timelines. It should be delivered between 10 and 3. You're like, sweet, 3.05, right? We're so demand. And if we're not careful, that can slide into our faith. And then you become impatient and you become demanding with God because he's not working as quickly. And, and the issue sometimes with that isn't with God, it's with me. The reason things aren't moving as quickly is because I'm the knothead. And I got, you know, uh, when I was playing sports, 
you know, sometimes we'd have to warm up or we'd have to be, you know, there was discipline. And we didn't learn something. If we tried it and we failed, it was like, take a lap. Okay. You know, try it again. Ah, oh, you still didn't run the play right. Take another lap. Right? And I'm like, man, the issue wasn't with the coach telling me to take a lap. I wasn't getting it. Right? It, it was me. And sometimes in life, the process may seem slow because it takes that time for us. Right? It's putting off the old and putting on the new. And how many of you still have some ingrained habits from the old? Right? How many of you are sitting next to someone who still has ingrained habits from the old? Right? You're like, oh my goodness. Right? Lord, can you speed up their process? Right? That would make my life easier if you sped them up. Right? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I used to bring out, before I would bring out the rock tumbler. How many of you the rock tumbler era? Right, you put all these jagged rocks into this this tumbler, right? And you put them all in there; they're all jagged, unpolished. You throw them all in there, throw some solution in there, and then what do they do? And all the rocks are getting polished. And then you right, you turn it off after like three days, and they come out, and you're like, dude, that's beautiful. It's all polished and clean. No more jagged edges, right? How many of you know the rock tumbler, right? Well, you know what? The church is the rock tumbler. He puts us in the church to do what? Rub off each other's rough edges. He puts you in your family to do what? The rock tumbler. Right? So turn to the person next to you and say, you're welcome. Right? You're welcome. Right? But just like the rock tumbler, you put it in there, you just turn it on and you just, it just it has to work. It just has to work. It's not instant. Right? And so... Those were the faith issues. Do you trust God's provision? Do you trust God's promises? Do you trust God's plan? Okay? And so today, we're going to finish looking at this, this issue of temptation and testing in a very familiar passage to many of you if you've been with the Lord for any length of time. It's in 1 Corinthians 10. And 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13 says this. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation, no testing has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted or tested beyond your ability. But with the testing or temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Familiar passage. I learned this 30 years ago, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, my memory verse right off the bat, right? In context... The Apostle Paul is speaking to the the Corinthian believers in a city called Corinth. And in those first 11 verses, he says, you know what? Let me refresh your memory. You know, the Israelites were supernaturally delivered by God. They went through the Red Sea and had all these supernatural experiences of deliverance, blessings, right? Just mountaintop experience with God. And then he proceeds to say, but something happened. The Israelites sinned. Right? They got caught up with idol worship. They were craving things of the world. Right? They grumbled. They were testing God. You know, from this mountaintop, suddenly the Israelites, they got complacent. They kind of took things for granted and they let the culture come in. They let the culture come in. Right? And so that sets the stage for verse 12 where he says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. He's saying, Hey, Corinthians. Don't take your faith granted. 
Don't live recklessly. Your Christian freedom is not a license to sin. Because the Corinthians were starting to let the culture come in. They were starting to get caught up in idol worship. They were starting to get pulled into the world. And, and it's, it's really important for us because our culture with social media and everything that inundates us constantly, we have the same tension and same battle as the Corinthians did. And God is saying, hey, followers of Jesus in 2023 on May 28th, let anyone who thinks that he or she stands take heed lest he or she falls. He's saying, hey, I'm warning you. I'm warning you, right? Beware continuously, right? Don't think you got it all together. Don't let your guard down, whether you've been walking with the Lord for a day or a decade or multiple decades. The same command and same caution is given to us. Hey, beware. Beware. Okay? Proverbs 16, 18 in the New Living says this. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. And it's not, you know, necessarily that you're walking around thinking you're all that. No, what we're talking about is this place where you're like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good with God. I don't really need to go to church. I don't really need to be in the Word. I don't really need to pray. I don't really need to be connected in community. I'm good. Things are good, you know, I'm, I'm good, I'm fine, right? But it's a heart issue. What does Proverbs 4.23 say? Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So if you're dealing with this spiritual pride and complacency and I'm good, that's really a heart issue. Something is, something is changing in your heart that you got to be careful about, right? And I was thinking of, the, in Revelation, you know, remember the church at Laodicea? Laodicea was a very wealthy city known for commercial trade. And Jesus has some very powerful words. In Revelation 3.15, he says this. I know all the things you do. He's speaking to the church. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. I live in Ojai, right? And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. It's amazing. The church, the believers thought they were good. Literally, right? You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. They're, they had this perception of themselves. And this perception of themselves couldn't have been farther from the spiritual truth. Right? Jesus says, hey, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Woo! How many of you probably, how many, you know, it doesn't say, but how many of you think that a large percentage of the church at Laodicea thought they were actually fine? They did. They thought they were good to go, fine and dandy. Everything's, right? I'm rich. I have everything. I don't need a thing, right? They were sincerely wrong. 
Jesus comes and says, uh, let me speak the truth to you in love. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's the power of the heart issue that we're talking about here. That's what we're talking about here. Right? Because it's not even necessarily that you're doing evil and wicked things out of pride and arrogance. It means that your heart is becoming dulled. It means that it's becoming hardened. It means that your perception of you and God and the church is changing to the place where literally you think you're good to go. And Jesus says, you're wretched. I mean, that's like polar ends. And you're like, how do you get that far? How did I miss that? That Right? Right? If you're in business or you do budgets, right, you understand you're not going to hit it just right, right? You give a little bit. And if you get, like, the standard deviation, you call that pretty good, right? Like, dude, that's, that's not bad. We didn't hit it, but we stayed here. That's like here and here. They weren't even close to the bullseye. And that's what we're talking about here today in the church is that you got to be careful in 2023, that you're not deceiving yourself. That you're calling yourself good and you're thinking you're God's gift to the church and, you know, everything is hunky-dory and suddenly Jesus is like, hey, let me tell you what's really going on in your heart because this was a heart issue, right? And it's interesting because a chapter after 1 Corinthians 10, we realized the Corinthians didn't really listen. Because they're getting together for church functions, potlucks. They called them like agape feasts where they would come together and have a potluck. People would bring food, right, Lord's Supper type of thing. How do we know that they were like, eh, Paul, we're good. Thank you. We're heeding it. We're heeding it. We got you, right? We got you, Paul. A chapter later, let me tell you what he says. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. For it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. He's talking to the church. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a what? Church. And to some extent, I believe it. Okay. There's divisions in the church, right? And then he goes on to say this. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this, right? Imagine, imagine, hey, having a church potluck in the commons, bring your favorite dish, right? Like, sweet, right? Seven o'clock. All the early birds get here at seven o'clock with their favorite dish, main dish, desserts, all this kind of stuff, right? Seven o'clock. And you start eating right away. You just like, hurry up. And people who can afford food or took a while to get here, transportation, didn't have transportation, right? Don't have the same means. They show up at 7.15, 7.30, and all the food's gone. And we don't care. Because we got ours. That's the degree to where they had fallen. They're getting together for an agape meal, of a, a Lord's Supper meal. They're bringing food, eating their food first before the poor people. 
could even get there. And they're not even having a problem with it. You see how this can infect the church? Man, this is... It's stunning. Because the chapter earlier, Paul said, hey, take heed. I'm warning you, right? Right? And so we flip that, and we look at what Jesus says. Jesus in Matthew 20 says this. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that verse 26, the word servant is a person of low menial service. They are low on the social strata. Very low, okay? And then verse 27, that word slave is a bond slave, which is even lower than the servant in verse 26. He said, you want to be great in God's kingdom? Become a bond slave. Selfless, sacrificial service in the interests of others. It's not about titles. That's, this is Jesus' upside-down kingdom, right? In 30 years of ministry, you know, once in a while we get people who who really want to be involved in ministry and everything like that. And, and there's a passage in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, where he talks about being known as a servant of Christ. And I share this verse oftentimes with, with these people that want to kind of thinking about ministry. Because the word servant in 1 Corinthians 4 uh, means under rower. It's a very specific term. An under rower, all right, if you want to be in church leadership... Apostle Paul says, be known as an under rower. You know what an under rower was? They were a rower of a boat, a big boat, but they were located at the bottom of the ship. In the smelliest, stinkiest, nastiest bowels of the ship, that's where the under rowers were unseen, just rowing at the direction of the captain. You want to be in ministry... You want to be a servant of Christ, welcome to the under rower club, where you're at the lowest level of the boat, catch everything from the top, you're unseen and you're unheard, and you just do your J-O-B. That's what he says, right? And that, that's tough because in our world, it's about title and status, and where the corporate world says you go up, 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 and the higher you get, the less menial stuff you do, 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 right? And Jesus is like, no, let's just flip that. You want to be great in my kingdom? Be a servant, be a slave of all. You want to be a servant of Christ? Okay, under rower. You know? It's funny because, you know, I grew up, I started in ministry in the late 80s, early 90s, in youth ministry, and uh, we would drive about 45 minutes to the church and get there before. We had a youth program before the big church. It was a big church, so we would do high school ministry in a separate room before. And I would get there about an hour before, and my job was to vacuum. It was in a big, it was on a junior high campus, converted junior high campus. So we had a big room, and we would prep the room for the high schoolers to come. So for an hour, we would boo the chairs, we would vacuum, sweep, do whatever, right? And that's just carried forward. That's just what we did. And so it's interesting because, you know, 30 years later, after an event or after church or something, you know, I'll grab a vacuum around here and I'll vacuum. And sometimes, and I appreciate it, they'll say, why are you doing that? 
be done. Yeah, but you're, you're, the, you're the, aren't you the lead senior? Like, I'm a believer in Christ, and this is Christ's church. It just needs to be cleaned. At a certain point, there is no title. There is no hierarchy. I mean, it's flipped. We just do what we need to do. We just do what we need to do. So, so if I'm vacuuming, it's because it needs to be done. And at that point, there is no top-down anything. You just do what you need to do around here, you know? And I just, that was instilled in me 30 years ago, and I just have carried that through wherever we go, you know? First one here, last to leave, you know, Tyler, they do a great job. They don't leave here sometimes till 4 o'clock on a Sunday. That's because they're cleaning up everything and tightening, getting it all ready for the following week. You just do what you need to do, Okay? Philippians 2, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. Remember, he's talking about Jesus. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Before we move on, I just want you to ponder something. You know, we celebrate Christmas, Jesus' incarnation, when he became human. Please never minimize how huge of a step that was for Jesus to become like one of us. Someone once said this, and take this the right way. It would be like, I'm like, hey, Bill, I need you to go rescue the roaches, but you need to become a roach. Sometimes we just take for granted that Jesus became human. He was God. He was God. And he lowered himself, and this, he became a slave. He became one of us. Let's never minimize what that took for Jesus to become one of us. That's just this elevated view of, we have of ourselves sometimes, right? It's humbling. It's absolutely humbling to think of Jesus taking on the form of a human, like, mind-boggling. But sometimes we take that for granted. Sometimes we take that for granted. Okay? So 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or tested beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So he confronts right away the issue of heart, pride, complacency, spiritual pride, and all this, right, self-righteousness. He deals with that. And then what he's trying to do in verse 13 is take your eyes off of me because spiritual pride is I, me, my, mine. Okay? Woe is me. Why is this happening to me? Me, 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 me. And he says, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is all about God. It's all about taking your eyes off of you and your circumstance. He says this, right? He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, which means it's not just you. Right? What you're going through at, one, at some point is common to everybody on this planet. Wayne Barber says this. You may be going through a trial. You may be going through something that you feel like nobody could understand. The main tool of the devil is to isolate you to where you think you are by yourself. Nobody else knows what you are going through. Well, I want you to know from this verse, you need to think again. Because you are not going through anything that is not common to all men. There are different degrees and different times, and not every person faces every single temptation, but all men face the same kinds of temptations. Every man and woman alive struggles and falls to the same kinds of temptation. 
The word for common is the word anthropinos, which means that which belongs to man, that which all mankind can relate to. So whatever it is you're dealing with, there is somebody else already dealing with the very same thing. You are not alone. It's, it's not as if you've been singled out. All of us deal with the same kinds of temptation. See, right away, the apostle Paul is saying, hey, wake up. Stop being so like this. Go to 10,000 feet and understand what you're going through. Everyone, to a certain degree, goes through, and there are people who understand. You're not alone. And what's great, we've looked at this verse, Hebrews 4.15, talking about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been, what? Tempted as we are, yet without sin. Isn't it really cool that Jesus gets it? He gets it. He understands. Okay? And in my mulligan week, there were a couple times where I literally had to say, Jesus, I'm sure glad you understand what I'm going through right now. Right? There was some comfort in that. There was some comfort. And then he says in the second part of 13, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to do it. So right away he says, God is faithful. Hey, you're being tested? Take your eyes off the circumstance. Go to God. God is faithful. Right? God is faithful. What does that mean? Here, I love this by Ray Pritchard. Just think about this. How many people do you know who do exactly what they say? Before you answer, let me rephrase the question. How many do you know who do exactly what they say every single time? Now, before you answer, let me rephrase it again. How many people do you know who do exactly what they say every single time and do it with such thoroughness and perfection that you never have to worry about anything they say or do? Again, before you answer, let me ask it one more time. How many people do you know who, no matter what the circumstance, no matter how they feel, will always do exactly what they say, will do every single time, and will do it with the same thoroughness and perfection that you never have to worry about anything they say or do, because you know if they say it, they will definitely do it without fail, without change, and without excuse. That's God. Amen? You see, God is faithful. Come on now, God is faithful. And all the time, you can bank on it. We talk about his goodness, but maybe someone here needs to focus on his faithfulness. What he says is what he's going to do. He's faithful. Maybe you're not questioning, maybe you're not struggling with his goodness. Maybe you're struggling with his faithfulness. Him coming through, being faithful to do it again. Right? You might be celebrating. How many of you celebrate what God has done in the past? Come through, provided, answered prayer. Okay. Take that faithfulness today and in the future. Amen? Take it today. He's the same God. He doesn't change. As he was faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful today, and he's going to be faithful every day of your life. God is faithful. will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Oh, that's a biggie. How many have ever gotten right till you felt the edge of your... Oh, uncle. Anyone call uncle to God? Like, uncle. Right? I can't, right? Yeah, those uncle moments. Like, this is just, man, oh, man, oh, man, right? But the, the promise here, he, God, in his faithfulness, will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Right? Mama, soon to be. That's a great verse for those who are about to give birth, right? He will not let you be tested 
beyond your ability, right? I, right? I mean, how many of you mamas, it was a testing when you were given birth, right? It was like, yeah. And I was the recipient of that uh, moment of joy, right? And testing, right? Dr. Arnold says this, God knows how much testing we can handle and how much we cannot. He uses testings in our lives to develop our faith in Christian character. One of the basic principles of training athletes is to get them to perform beyond their natural capabilities. This is done by applying more and more controlled pressure so that the athlete will think he can do more than he can actually do. And before long, he is doing it. This is what God does with us. He allows more and more pressure to be put on us to teach us to trust him alone so the life of Christ can be manifested in us. He says he will never give us more pressure than we can handle. If you are under some pressure or trial and feel, I can't take it one second longer, I have good news for you. Yes, you can. For God will not allow you to be tested above your ability to take it. Amen? I hope you're encouraged by that. That's a promise. I hope you're encouraged. And remember, I said it, it, last week, it's a walk to the power of the Holy Spirit. You just got to take one more step. Just take the next step. Just hang in there and take the next step. Okay? He's given us everything we need for life and godliness, right? Galatians 5, 16, if we walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? And then in verse 14, he tells us one of the ways of escape is this, very simply, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee is where we get the word fugitive. It's run away from danger, right? It's not in pride saying, I got this. I'm not going to run. I'm not afraid. I got this, right? No. Sometimes fleeing in obedience is the victory, Fleeing is the victory, but our pride, right? How many of you have a hard time losing a game? Like just you're competitive, you just, anyone? Well, sometimes when temptation comes, you know you should flee, but what's happening is that same competitiveness in the flesh, you get in the flesh, I got this, I got this. See, what happens in, in, in our nature is that we tend, okay, we tend to underestimate the enemy, the world, and the flesh. We underestimate the, the, the power that can have. And we overestimate our own ability to handle it. That's what gets us in a lot of trouble. We underestimate what's going on in the world around us and the devil's schemes and, and all the stuff we're letting ourselves watch. It's just a show. It's just the internet. It's just, it's just, we're, in, we're underestimating all of this. The crowd we're hanging out with, we're underestimating it. I got it, I got it, I got it. And we're overestimating our ability to withstand it. You ever try to come alongside somebody and lovingly point out that they're walking on thin ice? And they're in the danger zone. And they do this. Oh, come on. It's just, I can handle it. Anyone ever hear, I can handle it? What are they doing? They're underestimating the sin nature and everything from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they're overestimating in pride 
their ability to deal with it, right? See, here's the thing. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says God will provide the way of escape, right? He's not going to give you more than you can handle. With the testing and temptation, he will provide the way of escape. Here's the question. Here's maybe the million-dollar question. If God provides the way of escape, here's the question. Are you going to take it? Are you going to really take it? See, it's, it's, it's not a how do I escape this. It's a do I want to. It's, it's, it's a heart issue. It's not how, it's heart. For instance, if, if someone's dealing with, with uh, an issue of pornography, and we're working with them, and we're putting, trying to put in all these places of accountability, right? Uh, uh, let us know if you're temporary, you know, all these, all these layers of practical, very well-meaning, actually sometimes effective means, means the how, to help someone deal with uh, the temptation of pornography or whatever, right? So we put in all these hows. The real question sometimes is, are you going to, do you want the hows? We could surround you with the hows. But if your heart isn't right, you're not going to avail yourself of the how. Because it's a heart issue. I was talking with someone yesterday. They asked me directly uh, about boundaries in dating between, you know, males and females. Boundaries in dating, right? And it reminded me of back when I was a high school pastor, I would, I would do a series on sex and dating, you know, with the, with the students and get the parents' permission, and we will look at this from a biblical point of view. And as part of my visual illustration, I would bring in a ladder, and each step would represent different levels of physicality in a relationship, right? And so all the way up. And without fail, usually a guy would come up to me after I do this whole series with the ladder, talking about what the Bible says about this. He'll come up to me privately after, after everyone's kind of thing. He says, hey, so can I just ask you a question? Yeah, ask me. What's up? So how far can I really go? Like, what do you mean? He goes, like, which step is okay? You hear the heart behind that? I said, okay, bro, let me help you. Let me flip this. Let me change it from how to heart. I said, what if I challenged you to seek to honor God in your relationship? Will that help you determine where the step is? If your foremost, foremost primary desire in your dating relationship is to honor and glorify God as a couple, I'm pretty sure you're going to land somewhere. If your heart is right with God. Amen? You see? But what do we do with, what do we do with temptation? What do we do with sin? We just want to kind of play with it. We want to get right up to the line. Right? Because I, I, I can handle this. I can handle it. I can handle it. Right? Rather than fleeing, rather than understanding it's a heart issue, right? What do we do? We want to just play with it just enough. Just enough what? To kind of touch our flesh, appease our flesh. Just enough. And the problem with that 
is you're getting reeled in. You're getting reeled in, little by little. Why? Because now you're getting desensitized. And now you're learning bad habits. Now playing with sin is getting reinforced because there was no huge consequence. And then there is a huge consequence, and you're like, what happened? Well, what happened was you didn't take the way of escape and flee a long time ago because your heart, it was a heart issue. That's what was going on, right? James 1.14 says this, temptation comes from our own desires, which, in, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it give birth, gives birth to death. The challenge isn't the hows. I can give you a whole bunch of hows. The real issue when it comes to temptation is the heart. It has to do with your heart for the Lord. That's where it all flows from, right? A while back, I shared with you in San Diego, I used to work with, uh, again, high school students. And way back when we got con- I got connected with this hardcore gangbanger, like hardcore, like people would come by his house and do sh- drive-bys into his house. He was a hardcore gangbanger. I got to know him, spent a lot of time with him after school. He would come to, we would just connect, connect, connect. And then uh, things happened. I moved to a different church, kind of kind of keep track of him. And I found out he went to prison for a while. And then I was at a church in Oceanside, and I heard he was doing construction in a new development. I'm like, oh, man, really? So I went, and I tracked him down. And I think he was like 20, 21 or something, and he just got, got out of jail. And I said, hey, man, let me ask you a question. So we reconnected. We've always been cool. And I was always straight with him. I said, can I ask you a question, man? He goes, yeah, go ahead. Goes, Remember all those times when you were doing your gangbanging thing and shooting people and all that kind of stuff? I said, did any of that make a difference? Like, I was sharing with you, and I'd pick you up, and we would go to lunch, and we would hang out. I said, did any of that make a difference? And I love his honesty. He goes, yeah, I knew you were a good guy, and you cared about me, but I was going to do what I was going to do. And I, I, that has stuck with me 30 years. Because that phrase right there is true today. People are going to do what they're going to do. They're going to listen to this message here or in person or later in the week. And they're going to go, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they're going to get out there and they're going to be tested and tempted. And the truth is, you're going to do what you're going to do. Not all bad. Some of you are going to do good things, godly things. Okay, I get that. I'm not, I'm not throwing everyone under the bus. But what I'm saying, <laughs> there's a remnant. <laughs> Just kidding. You guys are perfect. <laughs> what I am saying is that in 30 years of ministry, the harsh reality, the, and I call this the heartbreaking part of, of ministry, is we spend countless times because we love you, because we are called to this, because we're under rowers. And Christ says, pour yourself in, make disciples. We come alongside. We love you, we love you, we love you. We give you God's truth. We give you grace, we compassion, all of that. We set boundaries, we tell you what you could do, encourage you to take the right steps. We do that, but underlying it all, we always know you're gonna do what you're gonna do. And we celebrate the good, we celebrate the victories, And I'll be honest with you, we grieve. We grieve the other side as well. That's just part of it. 
And if you're a parent, you kind of know what I'm talking about as well, right? And, and so for us, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue, okay? The Apostle Paul had prefaced everything with, hey, watch your, watch your heart, watch pride, right? Don't get complacent. And then we wrap up. I just want to wrap up with, you know, you remember the story of King David, right? King David in 2 Samuel, it was the time when kings usually go out to war, but for whatever reason, he stayed. And one night, he's out on the balcony, and he's looking over the city, and he sees someone named Bathsheba, and she's taking a bath, right? So Bathsheba is taking a bath, right? Okay, maybe a shower. I don't know if they had showers, but okay, a bath, the king says, hey, who's that, right? He kind of like goes, oh, okay. He says, hey, who's that? He goes, oh, that's Bathsheba. That's Uriah's, Uriah's wife. Who is Uriah? Uriah is one of David's mighty men who is fighting the war where he's supposed to be. So he sees. He's like, whoa. He hears that she's married to one of his boys. Doesn't matter. He calls for her. Sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. Now the king has a problem. Because this is punishable by death. Severe consequences. What does he do? He goes into conniving mode. Cover-up mode. Anyone ever go to conniving cover-up? See, some of you right now are like, thank you for your honesty, Marvin. Appreciate that. He's like, what? We've all done it. We've all done it, right? You do something, you know you shouldn't have. Oh, how am I going to make them? I'm going to clean this up. We got to clean this up real quick before mom and dad get home. Okay, how many have ever done something before mom and dad got home? Broke something, covered it up, tried to play it off. Okay, king is like, oh, man, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Right? Because pretty soon, she's going to look like Shiloh, right? And so, (laughs) right? Like, you can't hide that a little bit. So it's like, I know what I'll do. I'll call Uriah from the front, give him a little R&R. He'll sleep with his wife on the weekend. Boom, everyone's going to think the baby's his. Uriah comes. He's an honorable man. He says, I can't sleep with my wife while my boys are fighting. He sleeps at the doorstep outside their house. King David's like, oh, tries to get him drunk, still won't sleep with his wife. So it ratchets up. How many have ever got things made it worse when you tried to cover up? Like you made it worse. Worse, worse. So Uriah, it's time for him to go back. King David's like, okay, this is not good. So he connives a plan. He, he writes a note to the general. He says, hey, when you guys attack the enemy, kind of like just pull back and leave Uriah hanging. Boom. He murders him. He has him murdered. He sets him up to Uriah's left hanging. He gets shot and killed in battle. Nobody knows. Fast forward into 2 Samuel 12. Baby's been born, so they think it's a year plus. God sends Nathan the prophet and basically busts King David. He says, you are the man. God saw everything. Saw everything. The Bible says what David did displeased the Lord, right? He got busted. Like straight up busted, right? But for a year, he thought he got away with it. He thought, all good. Let's just get on with life. Reality was, it wasn't all good. He deceived himself because God saw everything. And then, here's the wonderful thing. 2 Samuel 12. 
Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Do you hear David's repentant heart? He got busted and instead of getting hard and saying, you, you don't know what you're talking about. He says, you got me. Oh, God, forgive me. I confess. I repent. Now, there was still a consequence. The child died. And if you guys, you and I make decisions, there will still be consequences, potentially. But God can forgive us in confession. So maybe somebody here has to have a King David moment. Maybe you're here, maybe you're at home. And the Holy Spirit's like, God sees it all. There's nothing you've been doing, nothing you've been looking at the internet, nothing you've been saying, nothing you've been doing with your books, nothing, anything. God's seen it all. And today God wants you to just do what King David did. Confess and make it right with God. There still may be consequences, but first and foremost, you've got to make it right with God. You've got to be set free. Because this thing has been in keeping you in bondage and you've been walking around in guilt and condemnation because it's been a hidden secret. Today it's time to get clean. Today it's time to confess. The word confess means to agree. Just call it what God calls it, sin. We can come alongside and help you with the how. If you're right, if your heart is tender and right with God, come to us. We would love to help you with the how. But we can't bring you kicking and screaming you got to have the right heart through confession and repentance, and then we'll come alongside you and say, come on, we love you. There's grace and compassion here. We'll help you with the how. We'll help you with, take the baby steps, right? So maybe it's King David, or maybe it's Jesus. And in the garden, Jesus is being tested because he realizes he's about to go to the cross and is going to be horrific, horrific. He's about to suffer one of the most barbaric ways of execution ever invented, And he's struggling with it in his humanness. And he says in Luke 22, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. If there's any way I don't have to go through the pain and the agony and the torture that's about to happen to me, Father, is there any way I can avoid this? Please show me. Then he says this, biggest word, like huge word, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, sometimes in my life and in your life, you're like, Lord, I don't want to go through this. I don't like this. Is there any way you can take this away? And at that moment, you're getting, oh, oh, oh. And at that moment, you are being challenged. You are being called to a nevertheless moment. Nevertheless, I trust you. Nevertheless, you said I will not be tested beyond what I can handle. Nevertheless, you say there's a way of escape. Nevertheless, you are faithful. So nevertheless, God, I hate this. I don't like this. It's unfair. It's unjust. This is hurting me. This is hurting my family. 
Nevertheless, I will trust you. I will submit and I will obey. I will submit and I will obey. It's kind of what it comes down to. Marvin, you can come up. King David came to a place of confession. Jesus came to a place of submission. Where are you today? One out of one people on this planet is tested and tempted. Is there something you need to confess, agree with God about? Maybe it is pride. Maybe you've been dabbling. Maybe you're full-blown into something and you need to confess it and come clean. Agree with God. Maybe it's submission today. Maybe you're going through something and you've been kind of angry at God for allowing it. You don't understand. You're confused. Maybe you're a little hardened. And you don't like what appears to be coming at you down the road. It's scary. And it's painful. Are you willing to submit and trust? Are you willing to say, nevertheless, good and faithful Father, not my will, but your will be done. Are you willing to do that? So, Father, thank you. <sighs> Father, I, I, I confessed way at the beginning that this past week wasn't one of delight. It was one of dealing with And through this week, you have uh, kind of brought me through the wilderness of this passage to the place of having to confess and even submit. Even when I don't understand. Understand why it was all allowed to happen, is allowed to happen, is happening. I don't, okay. I trust you. When I come to the end of me, there's you. Faithful and good. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here in person, here at home, that maybe it's a King David moment of confession. Maybe it's a Jesus moment of submission and obedience. You know. We can be really good at fooling each other at church and saying all the right things and using all the right cliches, but nothing is hidden from your sight. It's a heart issue. It's a love issue between us and you. Good morning. Have you all been in the, in the commons and seen all those toys? Oh, my goodness. A few weeks ago, I asked if you could just fill the trunk clear full. If not, just overflow it. And it is overflowing everywhere. We've got... We've been given blankets, big, beautiful quilts. Those kids are going to be so excited to cover, get in their new bed and cover up with those blankets and toys galore. My wish was answered. My prayers were answered. And praise God for overflowing the toys. Thank you so much for everything.
Thanks, Betty. And uh, we've got one more announcement. We've got a youth announcement. And uh, as you know, graduations are happening all over. Uh, so the school year is coming to an end. But um, we have one kind of final uh, thing for the end of the year for the youth students. Uh, this coming week, we have our last high school Bible study on Tuesday and our last regular uh, youth group on Wednesday. But the following Wednesday, uh, the June 7th, we are having a welcome uh, kind of get-together for any new students who are currently in fifth grade that will be going to sixth grade. So I know we have one in here, so we're looking forward to having him there. Uh, but if you know anybody, friends or family, that you know, want to have you know, their students are going into sixth grade, uh, come out on June 7th, regular time for youth group, 6.30 to 8. Uh, we're going to have pizza, games, and again, just a time to welcome all the new students. Thank you.